We welcome you once again to another edition of the Brattlecast. It's the Brattle Bookshop podcast, stories about books, old, rare, and out of print, the people who buy, sell, and collect them, and so much more. If you've tuned in any one of our dozens of podcasts, you know that we, we take it to tangents you can't even believe. Today, uh, Ken, Ken Gloss, the owner of the store, we thought we'd talk a little bit about where the store is historically in relation to the city of Boston, which is one of the oldest cities in the new world, of course. And there's a great story here, including a new book you wanted to talk, or an old book, I'm not sure. It's a new book. It's a new book. It's a new book. But what happened was I was uh, listening to the radio to a talk show, which I like doing. Uh, I was coming back from a lecture. Uh, I'd speak at a lot of libraries. Which you also like doing. I would like doing. And when I'm driving home, sometimes on the Massachusetts Turnpike, I'm listening to... uh, talk radio. Uh, and someone was uh, talking to a woman named Elizabeth Cohen about a new book she wrote called Saving America's Cities. But it was about Edward Logue. And immediately my ears perked up because Edward Logue, although he worked in a lot of other places, he was the one who really was a central figure in the redevelopment of Scully Square in Boston, changing it to Government Center. And that was mostly in the 60s that he was there. And my father's store was in Scully Square and my store eventually. And I just thought I'd relate a little bit of the history and the sort of the struggles, the back and forth, and how things went in Scully Square as it was changing. Well, there's a song, Old Scully Square, by Rick Tenery, and uh, he's a local favorite. But that, why don't we start with what Scully Square was then, because it was a totally different style neighborhood. Well, it was a totally different style neighborhood. It, um, it, it was very much uh, what they would now, they would look at, it was with the, when Navy, the Navy, when the soldiers came in yeah, yeah. and they were on leave, it was the area where they'd go to. There was uh, a lot of burlesque theaters bars, although there were places that I loved called, there was one, a hot dog stand called Joe and Nemo's. Oh, yes. It was one of the first fast food. You could go in and for a dime, you could get a hot dog and mustard and you were in and out in a minute. Now, you weren't uh, trying to sneak into those burlesque parlors, were you? I never went into the burlesque (laughs) parlors. They were, I was at the time, this was sort of in the early 60s. So I was in my teens and younger, and uh, and they were also on the tail end of uh, being uh, even in existence. But what happened was that whole area of Boston, which is now the government center area, the West End, uh, the mayor, uh, Collins at the period particularly, felt needed to be redeveloped. They needed to get money and development into the city to revive it because Everything was pretty much at a standstill. My father's shop, which started on Brattle Street in Boston, which is now with City Hall Plaza, Brattle Street doesn't exist. Right. Uh, he st- he took it over in the 40s. But then in the mid-50s, he bought another store that was on the Sears Crescent building of Boston. Now, that's if, if anyone knows Boston, it's a curved building that sort of looks over the government center area. Well, when he was there, he actually owned half of that building, uh, in which was fabulous at the time. It was an old, classic structure. But when it was being redeveloped, the store on Brattle Street was torn down. I mean, it was gone. 
he had, I mean, you not only had to move down, but you had to uh, be out of there because they were tearing the buildings down. Across the street from us, I remember even watching one day, they came in to tear down the buildings. They had the big cranes with those wrecking balls. Mm. And literally, you had a time when you went, were going in and out of the bookstore. You'd watch the wrecking ball swing back, mm. and then you could run in the store because when it hit the walls of the buildings across the street, bricks and things oh, would go wow. flying. But my father felt he wanted to save the business. And the Sears Crescent is a famous sort of crescent-shaped building, beautiful architecture from the mid-1800s, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, he also wanted to save William Lord Garrison's building across the street uh, where they printed the Liberator and all the abolition movement in the area. He wasn't successful at that, but he teamed up with a historian uh, from the Boston Athenaeum and they've raised a huge outcry, got hundreds of people to write uh, to save this building. Now, initially, they just wanted to tear it down. It was out of the way, build something new. Uh, and Edward Logue, who was head of the urban development at the time, uh, actually listened. Some of his assistants weren't so happy that he was listening. And they finally agreed that this was a historic building. They had to save it. Uh, they, there was a tremendous success in the project, except we got kicked out. My father owned half the building. Uh, what was also happening in the area, they also had decided to save one of the burlesque houses called the Old Howard. Famous. Famous. Well, it was first a church, then it became a burlesque Which, which made it even better. <laughs> which made it even better. Yeah. Uh, and they had decided to save that. But a lot of times, when you, especially back then, when you were in an urban renewal area, a lot of buildings burnt down. Mm. And first of all, they were easier to tear down. They were abandoned, so you never know who was in and out of it. Uh, and then one day there was a fire at our store in the 1960s. I remember going with my father and seeing the fire engines outside. Uh, it was a, a hard night. night. But within a few weeks, uh, Edward Logue was very helpful. There was another location further down on the block. They told my father he could use that temporarily. We got going again. But what they did is my father didn't want to sell. He, he wanted to stay there. He wanted to be an eminent domain. They went in. They mm. took it. He got a pittance for what it was. Matter of fact, I think it was about $20,000. But they told him when it was redeveloped, that they could that he could move back in. Well, he got another temporary location. It was somewhat redeveloped. They told him he could have a basement location of about a thousand square feet at thirty thousand dollars rental a year. I mean, they had only paid him so much for the for the building. Uh, eventually, we ended up on West Street. And the reality is, I hate to say this, looking back on it, probably the best thing that happened to us was being forced to move, to move, to move. I didn't because realize you had moved, had taken so many steps to get to West Street. We were, we were seven different locations. Because for people who don't know the geography, uh, Boston's a small town, really. Yeah. For people who don't know the geography, you're, you're just, how many blocks from where you were originally? It's probably about six blocks. It's seven not that blocks. far. And, and the blocks are smaller than New York. Right, much smaller. <laughs> They're about a half or a quarter yeah, yeah. size. So it's not that 
not that far, and yet it's so far uh, from government center in terms of my mind, the way I think about it. Well, one of the interesting things about being a used and secondhand bookstore is people will find you. In other words, there are some businesses, they need to be at the busiest corner or the busiest spot where people walk by and, and they do a big business because there's huge foot traffic. Used bookstores are more the type of thing someone comes into a city or they live in the city and they'll walk two, three, four blocks onto the less desirable area. Now, one of the interesting parts about it too is nowadays, one of the one of the things that people don't in, understand about secondhand used and rare books is they think about, oh, the wonderful books you get in, that libraries just come to you, that you're sitting there mm. reading old books or documents or whatever. One of the biggest problems nowadays, why there are less used bookstores, it's not that there aren't books out there that people are selling. It's not that people aren't interested in books and book collecting. Uh, but some of the hardest parts about the business is not the books. It's the business. It's employees. It's insurance. It's finding books. It's getting out there. It's getting the public relations. It's the massive amount of heavy work you have to do. But probably nowadays, one of the biggest, biggest things against used bookstores is real estate. And it's been real mm -hmm. estate for a long time. The fact that the cities are, have been improving tremendously since the 60s, 70s is great, except if you don't own and you're forced oh, yeah. to move and yeah. move. And one of the things I'll say that my father did without having much business sense was being able to move. Now, one of the reasons that he was able to get temporary locations, he was also a character. People liked them. Mm. Him, they enjoyed him. He used to find them books. He would tell them stories. They wanted him around. They wanted him around. He's part of the fabric. As a matter of fact, reading this book, what I didn't realize is that Logue actually, in the government center area, wanted a bookstore. He wanted it there because he wanted some of that diversity. But Well, the biggest knock, and I remember I was a kid at the time, but the biggest knock on the whole development of City Hall Plaza and uh, Government Center Plaza was, it was kind of cold and gray, and I.M. Pei designed it, I guess, but uh, what was missing was the charm, and there's no more charming spot than an old bookstore, quite frankly. So they, I can understand them wanting to keep it. Well, matter of fact, one of the stories my father tells is when they did this big, huge thing with White Hill at the Boston Athenaeum, and they saved the building, and I.M. Pei actually came to see him. He goes, I wish they had told me this was historic when we started because I've got to redo the whole all the plans. Mm. And I guess it, at the time it cost forty or fifty thousand dollars in the sixties to real redo money. those plans. Re real money, real money. But one of the things, though, is when you have a, a business, a small business, something that people come to, unique. It's sort of what goes into keeping it going. Isn't always what people see from the outside. It's finding a new location. It's getting there. It's being friends and having people like Logue, who we really didn't do. I mean, there was no huge benefit of us. Or Mayor White, when he was mayor, his mother used to come into mm -hmm. the store. And they would come in, but if he could help us in a way, he would. Uh, and that's part of what it is. It's sort of the community relations. It's a tremendous amount of hard work. But it's hard work that we love and enjoy, 
and I hope people come in, but the moves, the the things that slow you down, uh, you never know because where we are now, I think, is a better location, a better building, easier to manage. And if you look back at it all, every one of these sort of disasters we were having along the way, actually, when you look back at it, it, it one, been- one additional point for me, Ken, and that is. We all know the plight of retail. So many retail establishments are going away because of the online world. And some would say, well, Amazon with books, that's no. When it comes to you gotta go to the store. You've got to be there. You gotta hold the product. You've got to see the product. You gotta browse. So in a way, uh, it I think your business is almost retail proof in a sense. It's it's not going away because it's got such charm. Well, it's changing and it always changes. And one of the things that I tell people, you have to adjust to the change. And change isn't always good or bad. That's true. It's just different. I mean, one of the great things for us would be, and this, I don't see this happening, would be if every store around us was a bookstore. It wouldn't be competition. It would be drawing people in. Uh, either new stores, used stores, secondhand stores, I've rare often, stores. I've often thought a bookstore adds so much to even a, a shopping mall. That's a reason for me to go. Uh, my wife can do the shopping. I'll browse. I want to go to the bookstore and, and buy something. And, and, of course, and, of course, with us, if we had a large bookstore chain even next door to us, we sort of complement each other. But this book about Logue, and all of the problems, all the renovations, I mean, there was a lot of things done that, if you look at it now, should have been changed. Uh, but I admire in many ways my father being able to navigate that with almost no business understanding, mm. sort of like just pr- doing it on personality and hard work. But it, it popped up, and he, my father's even mentioned in the book in a one paragraph on Page 201, if anyone ever gets the The book. book title is Saving America's cities. cities by Elizabeth, not Elizabeth, but Elizabeth Cohen. And I will admit, it's a very long book, but I only read the section on Boston. <laughs> As I would expect. For research, you do what you have to do. You do what you have to do. But a lot of times when young people come in and they want to talk to me about the book business, maybe going into it, maybe being interested, and anyone out there listening I can talk forever about that, and I'm happy to do it and talk with younger people particularly. Uh, A lot of it gets into the logistics and the Mm. business part as opposed to the love of literature. And matter of fact, one of the best book dealers I know, I hate to say this, probably doesn't read a book, but he just understands books. He understands what people want. He understands how to get them and get them to people. I'm, I'm in the middle. I like I, you. I like you where you are because we we <laughs> love we have a passion. You you have the passion. I love to talk to you about it. But you are also very practical and and a success and a big success in a very tough market. So don't change. I I, I won't, and I'll keep coming in with more and more stories. One thing I will mention for an upcoming thing: there's there's a item out there, and I think we'll probably I'm hoping that we'll uh, be able to get. And that's going to make one a great podcast in my mind. But I don't want to say anything about it because I have to get it first. Well, that's called a teaser in radio well, well, or podcast. I, I know that. That's why I'm doing it. Excellent. Good job. <laughs> that is Ken Gloss with stories galore and uh, books and much more at the Brattle Bookshop. We've been talking about the location and the city and the history. It's all there and much more at brattlebookshop.com. Hey, thanks for listening. 
Enjoy yourselves, keep reading, and we'll see you next time on the Brattlecast.